Well, <clears throat> excuse me, Boston Red Sox. Holy smokes, you guys put on an absolute stellar performance all around the diamond. Pitching, hitting, fielding, base running, absolutely incredible performance across the board for you guys winning three straight games, sweeping the Baltimore Orioles. Can we please calm down? With this, yes, sweeping the Baltimore Orioles is a great, great, I guess, stepping stone. Leaving the weekend after struggling against the Rays and the Blue Jays gives you a nice little pick-me-up series, I guess, before you head to New York to face the Yankees for a quick three-game stop there. Uh, Two games tomorrow, and then one of them on Wednesday. But my goodness, you guys destroyed... One of the worst teams, if not the worst team in all of baseball. Let me just quickly check. Uh, Diamondbacks are 38 and 81, and the Orioles are 38 and 78. So, winning percentage wise, the second worst team in all of baseball. Like, seriously. Yes, I will take the W. I will take all three W's. I will take a eight. Where, where'd it go? I'm clicking the wrong link. I will take an 8 to 1 victory, a 16 to 2 victory and a 6 to 2 victory any day of the week. But those that are saying the Boston Red Sox are back, dude, they're in it to win it, they're World Series contenders. Calm down. You beat up the second worst team in all of baseball that you played 19 times this year. Oh, That second worst team in all of baseball, by the way, swept you at the beginning of the season. So let's just say you take two of three from those, two of two of three of those games beginning of the year, you'd be two wins further in the standings than you currently are. I'm not impressed. I will say that it's nice to see them take care of business this weekend and get the job done by sweeping a team that they should easily beat. Now, I don't know about 16 to 2 easily, but I mean, I'm not going to go complain about that. But seriously, are we really going to hype up this team and claim them that they're World Series contenders again when they're still currently 3 games back of first place from the Tampa Bay Rays and I believe they're tied with the Oakland Athletics for that first wild card and two and a half games up on the Yankees for the second wild card. But guys, can we calm, calm down with this? Seriously. I will admit, it was nice to see Chris Sale back on Saturday, which I'll talk about in a minute. It was nice to see Kyle Schwarber actually get some playing time in the Red Sox lineup. I will not deny that. And it was also nice to see Bobby Dahlbeck actually kind of explode this weekend. In all honesty, maybe he found his swing back. I mean, I know he went 0-4 in yesterday's game, but Saturday's game was very impressive. And then also on Friday when he went 3-4 as well. So I'm going to dive in more about that along with Chris Sale's first start in basically two years from Tommy John's surgery. But first, I got to nail out the pleasantries as always. How are you doing today? Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying episode number 81 of Merv's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, and you can find me on social media, the new social media handles, at Merv's Card Town. That is a new handle to represent the card shop that is opening on August 26th at noon, 12 Eastern. So I will be making that announcement, you know, a little bit here and there. You know, new social media handle. The YouTube channel name is also new. That's Murph's Card Town and Sports Shop. Simple, just the name of the shop. But anyways, how are you doing today? Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend. It was nice and hot. Felt like summer. I know a lot of people still want summer and a lot of other people want fall to be here. But let me tell you this. I think I said this last time. I don't remember. All of you people that want fall... Sipping pumpkin spice, trick-or-treating, jack-o'-lanterns and all that. Sit down. Relax. Because once 
you put that hoodie on for the first time, it may not hit you. But the second or third time you put it on and you throw them sweatpants on, drinking your pumpkin spice, you're going to miss summer and you're going to wish you're on the beach tanning, drinking margaritas, um, Trulies, hard seltzer, whatever you be drinking, whatever basic drink is in nowadays. That's what you're going to be you're on a boat, you know, swimming, barbecuing. You're going to miss all of that. I, I, I digress, though. Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend. It felt like summer. It was very nice and warm and toasty. Let me tell you that. But hopefully you have a fantastic week ahead of you. Red Sox certainly do as they have three big games against the Yankees. Excuse me. Three big games against the Yankees. And then they got a nice little layup against the Rangers, the Twins. I don't know if we call the Indians a layup because they've been playing a little bit better as of late. I mean, they're still 10 games out of first place in the American League Central. They're still under 500 team. So say what you want about the Indians. But a huge stretch of games coming up for the Red Sox. And we're going to lead off this episode talking Red Sox. We have a lot to talk about in terms of the Red Sox. Uh, the Orioles series I want to break down, of course, Chris Sale, like I mentioned, Bobby Dahlbeck, and also the games ahead of us. And then later on, Peyton Pritchard's 92-point game in Portland's Pro-Am League. Whoa. Talk about that and my thoughts about that. Not good thoughts, let's just say. Not good thoughts. And then, of course, we have to talk Patriots and a quote from Cam Newton earlier today in regards to the starting quarterback position. So all that on today's episode in the docket. But like I mentioned first, we do have to talk about the Red Sox. I'm not impressed. Listen, I am a very hard guy to impress when it comes to sports, whether it's the Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics, or the Patriots. If the you know the Patriots get out to a 3-1 start after the first four games, I'll be happy and pleased, but I don't know if I'll be impressed because, you know, those first three games, they should easily be able to win. The one loss should be against the Buccaneers in week four, so that's kind of a given. So will I be impressed? No, I don't think. I mean, unless they're like, you know, 50 to 10 blowouts in the three games that they win. But anyways, anyways, holy smokes. I'm not impressed by an 8-1 victory against the Orioles, a 16-2 victory against the Orioles, nor a 6-2 victory against the Orioles yesterday. But I will say what I'm pleased about is it seemed like the offense was able to find itself. Now, the Orioles pitching staff reeks. Absolutely horrendous. I don't know what the stats are, and I bet they're not good. So there's no point in digging them up. But, like, the offense has been struggling as of late before this series. I know they scored 20 runs against the Rays. Calm, calm, calm yourself. But just generally speaking, it doesn't feel like a good, potent offense. And I've ranted about this. I've bitched about this. I've complained about it. I've screamed about it. That the Red Sox have a consistency issue in their offense. Your big three, Bogarts, Devers, Martinez. They're going to have great days. They're going to have great stretches. But on the other hand, they're also going to have down days and down stretches where they go 0 for 4 or 0 for 10. Then on the other hand, they're going to go 4 for 5 or 11 for 13. So it's just like, well, 11 for 13, that's kind of nuts actually now that I think about it. But you have to have a deep lineup for when J.D. Martinez goes, you know, 0 for 8 in two games and then, you know, Bobby Dahlback goes, I don't know, 8 for 9 or 8 for 10, whatever he went, you know, the first two games of the series. And kind of swinging and missing at the trade deadline. Yes, you got Kyle Schwarber, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But not going out and getting a Adam Frazier, an Anthony Rizzo, or just anybody that can really help your lineup. It shows. Well, it showed. It certainly showed before this weekend series against the Orioles. Now... Like I said, I'm not impressed, but I am happy and pleased to see that the offense was able to take care of business. And the pitching staff, too. I do have to give credit. The pitching staff was very nice. But scoring 8, 16, and 6 runs against this team shouldn't be all that hard against this Orioles team. It really shouldn't have been. And you were able to execute. You didn't have to grind out a bullpen game winning 3-2 to two or 2-1 two to one or whatever, maybe even lose a game like that. You were able to smash the ball, crush the ball, hit the ball, drive the ball. It must have felt good for this team to have three straight games of 
batting success. And I think that's going to go a long way. Now, it could all be for naught if they struggle against the Yankees like we've seen them struggle against the, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Blue Jays, and even the Tigers, you know, going back almost two weeks now. So this series is a nice little reboot, recharge, maybe a season reset. You know, basically how, how they've been playing as of late since the All-Star, uh, since the trade deadline, excuse me. Hasn't been that good offensively, defensively, pitching-wise. Not that good. They needed a series like this. Another reason why I'm not impressed is because they had to do this. If you even if you sweep them, you know, two to one, four to three, three nothing. I'll look at the pitching staff and be like, you guys did a good job. Pitching looks good. Bullpen looked nice, nice and tight. Chris Sale probably had a good start. But if your offense couldn't click and execute and perform, I mean, 16 runs on Saturday is a completely different animal. You know, let's just call it 10. If they were able to get 10 runs that day, like, at the Orioles, you have one of the best lineups in all of baseball. At least I'd like to think that. Statistically, I don't know. So you should have been able to do this. And as of late, you've been slumping, so you were able to take advantage of the timing of this series. Struggling the past two weeks or so, in a in a big slump all around, big series against New York coming up. Like, this is when baseball is 162 games long. The season's 162 games long. Now, I think it's to be shortened. Story for another day. Conversation for another time. But the games early in the season are often said, oh, it's all right. The season's long. Oh, it doesn't matter. We have plenty of time to catch up, which is oftentimes true. Like when the Orioles swept the Red Sox at the beginning of the season and they went 0-3, or the Red Sox went, you know, 0-3. It's a long season. Come back. You know, offenses are slow to kind of get going early. Pitching might be a little rough in the beginning. It happens. It's April. Calm down. Or actually, I think at that time it was March. I don't, I don't know. Uh, actually, I can just – actually, I'm not going to scroll all the way back. It's okay. It happens, right? But when you get to this point in the season where it's August 13th, 14th, 15th, these games start to matter, especially when you're three, four, five games back in the division. It matters because you lose two of three, the Rays win two of three in their respective series uh, last weekend or this past weekend. Then you're only going to get further in the down in the standings and you know teams below you like the Yankees or the Blue Jays might jump you. It could easily happen. But when things are still kind of shaking out and kind of, you know, getting fallen into place early in the season, first couple weeks, maybe a month or so, it's not all that important. I don't want to say it's not important, but it doesn't matter as much. A win is a win. You know, at the end of the day, the team with the most regular season wins come the end of the regular season will have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Just how it is. And you know what? If you're one of the top, what is it now? Six teams to make it in. So top 12 teams, six from each league. You're in the playoffs. They're only going to take the top six teams from each league with the best record. You know, obviously, you know, divisions and wild card, you know, kind of comes into a factor. But you get my point. You get my point. So these three wins, no matter how they come, whether it's 16 to 2, or two to nothing, I'll take it. That has to be a win. This series had to have been a sweep. Now, will I have taken two of three? Sure. Absolutely. I'll take any series win that I can get. If the Red Sox go two of three in the Bronx this weekend, I'm taking it. If they go, you know, they win two of three against the Rangers, you know, I feel like you could sweep them, but I'll take it because it's better than getting swept or losing two of three. But I do believe that the Red Sox offense this weekend made a statement. Now, what about that? What statement are they making? Could it be, we're back? Could it be, don't count us out? Don't doubt us? Hey, we're still the Red Sox from you know beginning of the season. Yeah, maybe. That could have been the statement. 
Could it be like, hey, buy don't don't count us out. Buy back in. You know, yeah, we went through a slump, but hey, here we are. We can still hit with the best uh, lineups in the league because we are that best lineup. And, you know, that's what they're thinking. That's what they're saying. But on the other hand, on the other hand, you got to look at it and say to yourself, eight runs one day, 16 the next, and six on the last is nice. But look at who you're doing it against. It's the Baltimore Orioles, who time and time again finished at the bottom of the barrel in the division. 2019, the last full regular season, 54 and 108. The year before that, 47 and 115. The year before that, 75 and 87. 2016, the last year that they were relatively good, 89 and 73. So five years ago, and then I guess for the record, 2020, they were 25 and 35. So, I mean, I it's hard for me to get, it's hard for me to be impressed and excited about what they did this weekend. Now, if they go out, now let me readjust myself here. If they go out and do this against the Yankees, that's a different story because the Yankees, are a team that people thought were going to win the World Series this year, make a deep playoff run, win the division. I mean, I honestly thought the Yankees would win the division this year. People are saying the Yankees could still win the division, could still make it to the World Series, maybe even win it with the moves that they made. Anthony Rizzo, Joey Gallo. Obviously, will that happen? Who knows? But they are a competitive team. For the whole season, unlike the Baltimore Orioles, who probably aren't trying right now, trotting out their AAA team. So if you can do this against the Yankees, sweep them, score a bunch of runs, pitch very well, then the sample size gets bigger. You throw in the Orioles and that Yankees series and be like, look at these last six games. Look at what you were able to do against a bad team and a good team. Now... That can become impressive. Now, we can have a legitimate conversation in regards to, quote, the Red Sox are back. Don't count them out. We're World Series contenders. So, it all gonna, it's going to be all for naught if the Red Sox get swept or lose two of three of this series. Now, originally, this game, I believe... Yeah, because doubleheader tomorrow. So originally this game was a two-game series. However, there's a day-night doubleheader tomorrow. 105 first pitch for the first game. 705 first pitch for the second game. And then 705 on Wednesday for the third and final game of that series before the Red Sox head out to Texas for the Rangers. Now before I go jump ahead and talk about you know Yankees, Rangers, and the upcoming series, I do want to backtrack and talk about Chris Sale's first start in two years coming off a Tommy John surgery, and he looked very well. Very, 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 very good. Probably the biggest story to take away from from this is um, Chris Sale, right? Because the Red Sox could have gone out at the deadline and brought in an uh, ace, a Max Scherzer, a Kyle Gibson from the Rangers, but they didn't. They stood pat. They were like, we have Chris Sale coming back. We're going to be okay. People are buying back into the Red Sox, or people have been bought into the Red Sox, and they can uh, somewhat live with the fact that the Red Sox didn't make a move at the deadline because their savior, Chris Sale, will ascend from the heavens, land on the mound, and pitch fantastically with a 2.4 ERA for the rest of the season, chalking up seven wins in, what, nine starts I believe he's projected to have for the rest of the year. And to see him go out and pitch as fantastic and good as he did is so reassuring. And the people, Heim Bloom specifically, is probably like, we didn't need to go out and get anybody. We have Chris Sale coming back. Now, in all due, in all due uh, respect, I was on the, the team that, oh, you don't need to go out and get a pitcher. You have Tanner Houck who can you know be in the rotation. You have Chris Sale coming back, who I thought would have been in the bullpen but they want him as a starter, respectively. So Martin Perez out. He's in the bullpen. Garrett Richards out. He's in the bullpen. So it's 
you know, Chris Sale now kind of replaces one. Tanner Houck, I guess, is in AAA. I just keep him up here. Keep him in the big leagues, please. I just think he can serve better here than down in AAA. But you know what? Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Chris Sale, five innings, six hits given up, two earned runs, eight strikeouts, no walks. Those two earned runs were two home runs from the Orioles. I think they were back-to-back home runs too. Um, Let's see. Yeah, Austin Hayes and Trey Mancini both hit back-to-back home runs off of Chris Sale. When was that in the second inning? Third inning, sorry, third inning. Other than that, Chris Sale basically pitched a shutout for five innings. But, like I said with the offense, you got to look at it as this is against the Orioles, who he's pitching against. Now, a question that's been raised a lot on social media, radio, internet, even on the podcast, or other podcasts out there that talk about this subject, why, if Chris Sale was ready to come back, which a lot of people think he was ready to come back like a week ago. Then why did he pitch an extra rehab assignment down in Worcester and not start last week against the Ori- uh, the, the Tampa Bay Rays? One, two, three, four, five. It would have been Tuesday, August 10th against the Tampa Bay Rays that the Red Sox ended up losing 8-4. to four. Instead of pitching that last game in Worcester, you could have started him against the Rays then, and then he would be pitching against the Yankees tomorrow. And having Chris Sale pitch in a day-night doubleheader, a seven-inning game, get a little bit more out of him, a little bit less pressure on the bullpen and the pitching staff as a whole for at least that first game. Right? Team above you in the Tampa Bay Rays, hopefully you shut him down. Team below you, breathing down your neck, the Yankees, shut him down, hopefully, right? But no, they decide, I believe it was a sixth rehab start, I believe. And then he comes back to pitch against the Orioles on Saturday. And then he'll be pitching against the Rangers on Friday. One, two, three, four, five on Friday. Yeah, this coming Friday. So the question has been posed. Is Chris Sales scheduling in terms of pitching to ease him into it? Or has this been done strategically? Because when I said Kyle Bloom is saying Chris Sale will have uh, descend from the heavens above, land on the mound, pitch us to victory, all that, all that, right? Then he should have been pitching against the Rays and then the Yankees tomorrow. There's no excuse if he was ready to go. Now, could he have not been ready to go, needed that last rehab start, and the scheduling just works out that he's pitching against the Orioles, then so be it. But why not delay him another two days and have him, or three days or whatever, let him get that extra rest and throw him out there against the Yankees on that first game of the day-night doubleheader, seven innings, he goes five or six, then the bullpen only needs to go one or two or whatever. It's kind of a win-win. Or... Now, I have way too many oars. I, I, I don't know. But instead, they decide to pitch him against the Orioles, then the Rangers, and then it's going to be like against the Indians, I think. Just the timing and the scheduling of Chris Sale's starts are quite confusing because that last rehab assignment could have been kind of like a, a cautionary thing. And then against the Orioles and the Rangers, let's ease him into it because we don't know if he's fully 100% healthy. We don't know if he's fully back. We don't want to throw him into the ring of fire just yet. But then, don't go out and tell me. If that's true, don't go out and tell me that Chris Sale is the savior for this pitching staff. Because if he's not ready, then he's not the savior. And if he's not ready, then he should be in the bullpen. Because, it, you know, throwing pitchers in the bullpen who are coming off Tommy John... Having them in the bullpen pitch one, two, three innings, you know, every couple of days kind of helps with their recovery. So the way the Red Sox planned this out for Chris Sale tells me that he's not 100%. 
they're starting him. They had him pitch that last rehab game. They have him pitch against the Orioles, the Rangers, basically three bums, right? The AAA, Orioles, Rangers, three bums. And I believe against the Indians too, and then I, I just gets too too far ahead for me. And he's probably only going to pitch five, six innings. I mean, I guess nowadays in today's standard, that's a great start. But in Chris Sale's standards, you got to go like at least seven, eight innings. <laughs> that dude just hauls innings. So could Chris Sale not be 100% healthy in back and they're just getting him in there for PR because we need 85% Chris Sale because he's better than 100% Garrett Richards? Absolutely. I fully believe that. Should Chris Sale be in the bullpen pitching every other two days, three days, whatever, pitching, you know, two, three, four innings out of the bullpen? Maybe. But on the other hand, you got to look at it from the team's perspective and be like, we didn't make a move at the deadline because we were telling them, we were telling all the fans of, of Red Sox Nation that Chris Sale's going to come back and be our savior. So he needs to go out and save us, even if it's for five, six innings. Even if he's not 100%, we got to do it. It's getting crunch time. Dog days of August. We, we, You know, it's getting rough out there. So the whole timing and the whole situation for Chris Sale's return has been kind of confusing. I don't want to say confusing, but it's been questionable. It's been very questionable, and maybe this is what he wanted. Maybe he didn't want to be thrown into the ring of fire. He wanted, a, you know, a soft spot with the Orioles and the Rangers. I get it. But don't sit there and tell us that Chris Sale will be the ace of old and he's going to be guns blazing when he comes back. Because I just don't think that's true for any pitcher. And it's clearly not true if you're throwing him against the Orioles and the Rangers. But enough with the speculation and such. I really did enjoy, at the end of the day, trust me, I really did enjoy his start. It was good to see him back out there. Like I said, five innings pitched, six hits, two earned, no walks, eight strikeouts. Two earned were off of two home runs back-to-back. So there's really, you know, you can take away four four and a third of, you know, lights-out baseball from Chris Sale in his first start. I'll absolutely take it. I'm definitely interested in seeing what he can do in his second start against the Rangers. Quite intrigued about that. See if he can have that same kind of energy, electricity, and momentum that he can carry over from his start against the Baltimore Orioles. Now, the other player that I wanted to talk about coming away from this uh, weekend series against the Orioles, and I alluded to him, is Bobby Dahlbeck. Now, we all know that Bobby Dahlbeck has really underperformed this year. I had him winning the American League Rookie of the Year this year. It was either between him or Andrew Vaughn from the Chicago White Sox. Now, this year, Bobby Dahlbeck is hitting, where's his average? Where's your average? 230. Just hit the mic, I'm sorry. He's hitting 230, which is actually higher than what it was. It was like 210, like a week or two ago. And honestly, if you get one hit, why do you have two, three, four, five at-bats? I guess if you have five, it won't count. Well, I guess if you have five, it's not going to help. But if you're hitting 200 and you get one hit in four at-bats, your average is going to go up. <laughs> it's, it's still going to go up. But anyways, Bobby Dahlbeck. I don't want to say he's back, but I think he might have turned a corner. Friday, he went three for four with three RBIs. And then on Saturday, let me get there. On Saturday... He went two for four with three RBIs again. I believe he had two home runs on Saturday as well. Friday or Saturday, he had the two home runs. And then on Sunday, he did go 0 for 4, right? Yeah, he did go 0 for 4. Has he turned a corner? I don't know. But that average is going up, which is very nice to see. And he had a fantastic weekend, although he went 0 for 4 on Sunday, yesterday. But I think the uh, what he did in the other two games is definitely something to build upon and kind of gain some momentum to kind of keep pushing as you are been struggling this whole season and the Red Sox have been looking to upgrade at that position or at least upgrade in terms of having a platoon system with Bobby Dahlbeck and 
Kyle Schwarber, which that's their plan this year, and Christian Arroyo, who got injured in the third inning of his first first baseman start. I definitely want to see more from Bobby Dahlbeck. You know, he was a highly rated prospect in the Red Sox system for a couple years. He did come up as a third baseman. He's overplaying first. His defense has been off and on. But at the end of the day, right now he's all you got. (laughs) He's all you got at first base. But guess who was available to play first base this year that you could have picked up at the trade deadline? Anthony Rizzo. But guess who got him instead? Your arch rival, the Yankees. Uh, just take it for what you take it what you want. I mean, Bobby Dahlbeck is your first baseman, basically for the entirety of the season. Now, will you have Kyle Schwarber play there at some point? Yeah. How good is he going to do? We have no freaking idea. I know Christian Vasquez can play a little bit of first base, but do you want your star catcher at first base? I mean, I guess that's not the worst thing. It helps with the knees, right? It helps with the knees. Take a little bit of pressure off the knees. Give him a day off behind the plate with all the heavy gear. Yeah, wouldn't be the worst idea. But I'm hoping Bobby Dahlbeck turned a corner. I mean, it's only one series. It's against the Orioles. But for a player like him who's been struggling, where he's not doing a big three or your supporting cast players like your Kike Hernandez or Alex Verdugo, a series like this against the Baltimore Orioles was good for him. It was nice. It's what he needed. Now, again... We will have to see if it translates into New York when he plays against the Yankees in better competition. Will he go 0 for 4? Will he go 2 for 4? Will he go 3 for 4? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Look for him to drive the ball. I think I was at the restaurant next to the shop, uh, Bar 101 in Johnson, Rhode Island. And I believe it was like a slider, a slide piece. And he just launched it over the monster. And I know he's been struggling against breaking balls this year. So it was good to see him not hit a home run. But just simply drive the ball and connect on a breaking ball. These are things that major league hitters need to do. He's 26 years old. He needs to start doing that on a consistent level, on a consistent basis. Now, he's hitting 230, which you'll absolutely take compared to his average a month ago. And if he can finish the season at 250, I don't think that's the worst thing, all things considered, especially where his average was and where it's finishing. I think we'll kind of take that. Now, he's currently hitting on the year. He has 14 home runs, 52 RBIs. He's 121 strikeouts, and he's hitting 230. If he can get that batting average up to 250, keep the strikeouts down under 160, drive in 70 RBIs and hit 20 home runs, that's not that bad. I don't think that that would be that bad of a rookie campaign for him. All things considered, being your nine hitter, something to build off, work on next year. Now, come next year, I don't know, because you might have Tristan Cassis coming up. Who knows what the situation will be? I mean, I know the Red Sox just claimed Travis Shaw off waivers, so I'm sure he'll be getting some looks at first base come September or maybe even towards the end of October. We will have to wait and see, but I mean, if Bobby Dahlbeck can kind of pivot, turn a corner, be the good hitter that we know him from in the minor leagues, then that just makes your your lineup deeper. It lengthens your lineup where one through nine can actually be legitimate hitters and have legitimate plate appearances, which the Red Sox really need because they can't rely on their three all-stars, Devers, Martinez, Bogarts. I know Kike Hernandez, someone that I've been very critical of, He's hitting the ball a lot better. His average is actually up to like 250, I believe, himself. Um, where is it now? 255 right now himself. And I mentioned, I was like, I don't want my leadoff hitter hitting like 229 or whatever it was at that time come uh, before the trade deadline. And now he's hitting 255 with 15 home runs. He's turning himself into a legitimate leadoff hitter. Uh, he's only has one stolen base this year, so the speed's not there. But he's having good at-bats. Uh 339 on base percentage with a 799 on base plus slugging. Considering what we had from Kike Hernandez at the beginning of the year, I'll take it. I'll absolutely take this because going back to what I said about Bobby Dahlbeck, it lengthens your lineup, it makes it deeper, and you don't have to rely on your three all-stars 
nearly as much when you can get Kike on and then whoever the two-hole hitter may be that day. I know the Red Sox have been kind of playing with that a little bit. Renfro, Verdugo. I know they have Plowecki there, I think, like yesterday. It's just... Uh, Red Sox were really good at the beginning of the season. Then they came good. And then they were dog shit. And I think a weekend series like this against the Orioles where they just beat the living shit out of them was a good thing. I really do believe that it was. However, like I said at the beginning of the segment, I know I've been ranting about... Not ranting, but I know I've been just kind of rambling about the Red Sox for a long time now. But this series will mean absolutely nothing if they lose the series in New York. Red Sox have to win at least two of three against New York in order for it to actually mean something. Not just in the standings, momentum, confidence from a fan perspective. So as nice as it all was, it's really going to matter against the New York Yankees. Two games tomorrow, and then the third one on Wednesday. But that's going to be it for me talking about the Red Sox. I guess I'll give you a quick uh, standings update. Currently three games back from the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 71-47. and 47. Red Sox are 69-51, and 51. like I mentioned, three games back. They are 5-5 five and five in their last... 10 games with three straight wins against the Orioles. I believe on Friday they were two and eight. And I think I was bitching about it immensely. Yankees five and a half games back. They have 65 wins and 52 losses. And they're currently seven and three in their last 10 games. The division it's tight. It's, it's going to be there. I thought the Yankees were going to fade out, you know, be sellers at the deadline and just kind of, you know, bag for next year, but they made moves. They're being competitive. They're winning games, winning series, and they're making it difficult. And so aren't the Blue Jays. They're seven and a half games back. They're five and five in the last ten. But you can't count on them. You can't count them being out, especially with that second wild card this year. So that's going from that's going to do it for me talking about the Red Sox. I know I just rambled on and on and on and on, but you have to. You absolutely have to because at this this point of the year is so critical for not just the Red Sox all teams in baseball, especially the competitive ones. Because you're trying to maintain your lead in the division. It's hot. It's summer. It's August. The season's been treacherous. Hence why the trade deadline helps. You're trying to make sure you don't get too comfortable with your lead. Like the Astros, they have a two and a half game lead on the Red Hot Athletics who are eight and two in their last ten. The Astros are five and five. You can't let silly things like that get a you know get in your head. Mets, they've fallen apart. They're three and seven in their last ten. They're two and a half games out of first place. And the Braves are eight and two in their last ten, and now they've jumped the gun. So you're gonna see a lot of movement going around in these tight races that mean a lot to these teams. That's why this time of year means so much because each and every game actually matters at this point. Unlike maybe still the ones in April. But if you look back and be like, oh, like I said earlier, the Red Sox won two of three or at least won one. They'd have one or two more wins than they do now. Like, yeah, I get that. But in terms of the standings, you know, it doesn't really mean as much until you, you know, be an a-hole and look at it like that. So that's going to do it for me and my Red Sox uh, conversation. And I guess I'll jump to the Peyton Pritchard topic, headline, noteworthy news. Ah, this one doesn't sit well with me. Peyton Pritchard drops 92 points in Portland Pro-Am game after leaving Summer League for excused absence. Now, 92 points. First of all, the good. 92 points, fantastic. He won up Isaiah Thomas, who dropped 81 in a Pro-Am. I forget where his Pro-Am was, but drops 81. You know, Lakers might sign him. He's, you know, he wants to get back in the league. And I think a team, how can a team not give that guy a shot? He's healthy. He's dropping 81 points. He's a veteran. I think he can give you some you know, good secondary scoring. Anyways, I digress. Peyton Pritchard was lighting it up in Summer League, or is lighting it up in Summer League this year. He's having a fantastic, fantastic Summer League this year for the Celtics as they continue to grow their younger players. I really think the Celtics are going to need a player like Peyton Pritchard this year to 
come off the bench or even start. I don't know if he'll be the starting point guard, him or Dennis Schroeder. We'll have to wait and see on that. But he has an excused absence to leave the Celtics during their summer league tournament run and go play in this pro-am in Portland. Now, I don't know if a pro-am is a good enough reason to have an excused absence. I don't think so. But nonetheless, he gets the excused absence. And yes, he drops 92 points. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Are any of us going to remember that in five years? I know he will. His family, friends will. I sure as hell won't. (laughs) I know I'm not going to. What if something happened to this kid? A lot of people are banking on him being the next good point guard for the Celtics. Like I said, whether it's a starting or coming off the bench role, could see him starting guaranteed next year, maybe. You know, late first round draft pick, very good at Oregon. But what if something happened to him? Tears an ACL, rolls an ankle. You know, get concussion. That's that's something you don't want to play with. You don't want to gamble. And as a team, as the Celtics, I'm surprised you gave him this excuse absence to go play in this pro-am game out in Portland. Because what if, you know, God forbid, knock on wood, something bad happened to him. Now you're down another guard. Something, a position you're already kind of thin at. I know you got you got bodies. You got uh, friggin' Gus, uh, Carson Edwards. You got Tremont Waters. You got Romeo Langford, Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Smart. I know you got bodies. But how good are all those guys? Seriously. Like, I know Smart's good defensively. Dennis Schroeder, you know, good, good little scorer. Tremont Waters, Carson Edwards. Romeo Langford showed some nice, you know, Nice flashes last year. I'll give him that. But none of them has the hype that Peyton Pritchard does. They don't. And none of them were playing as good as Peyton Pritchard was in the Summer League. Peyton Pritchard was averaging like 20 points or something like that in the Summer League. I don't know exactly what his averages were. Um, Can I find it really quickly? Averaging 20.3 points, 8.7 assists, and 57.7% from three. That's really freaking good. And the Celtics could absolutely use that 8.7 assists per game and that shooting percentage for sure. You know, kind of excusing the 20.3 because I think you'll get it from Brown. I think you'll get it from Tatum. Well, actually, Brown's going to be out for a while to start the season. So you're actually going to need that 20.3 points now that I think of it. It just makes it even more confusing why you would risk this player who's been performing very hot, who is, you know, has a lot of potential for your team this year, next year, and hopefully years to come, you know, depending on contract, whatever, that's getting down the road. For him to go play in a pro-am game in Portland, risking, out of your control, risking an injury. Now, I know the, the risks are probably relatively the same, whether it's in Portland or, you know, in a summer league game. But I think that summer league game, from your perspective being the Celtics, is much more important because your player is developing in front of your eyes, under your surveillance, with your other players, his teammates, working on this, working on that, to get better, to improve, and go against other potential NBA talent. Now, I don't know what kind of talent's out in Portland in the Pro-Am League, but I don't think it compares to the NBA. So I think that time, because he missed a game, that time that he spent away in Portland for that Pro-Am game could have been used more beneficially in Vegas with the Celtics for their Summer League game. Just me personally. Could have worked on worked on some chemistry, worked on some plays, work on your defense, work on this, and I'm sure he did all of that from the Pro-Am game. But with different guys. Running pick-and-roll offenses, you know, give-and-goes with players that aren't his teammates. But if he was here in Vegas, he could have done that with uh, Romeo Langford or who I don't, I don't even know. Aaron Neesmith. I honestly couldn't even tell you what the Celtics summer league roster looks like in all honesty. But you get you get my point. So 92 points. Cool. Great. I'll forget about it probably in a couple months, to be honest. Not, not five years. Probably in a couple months. Probably even next week. 
<laughs> in all honesty, probably friggin' next week. I just think that time away, you were very negligent of the awful possibilities that could have happened outside of your control. And the fact that you are not capitalizing on this time for young players that you want to succeed on your team to work together and build towards something, which is hopefully Banner 18. I just don't think a Pro-Am game in your hometown, state, city, just you know, generally speaking, is an excused absence, in my opinion. But we, we shall see. Luckily, he wasn't injured. Nothing bad happened. He scored 92 points, so obviously something good happened. Like I said, I just wish that time was used better. Used with the team, developing chemistry, working on the offense, working on the defense, this and that. But I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, lash about it too much, too long because at the end of the day, it's Summer League. But on the other hand, Summer League is a great developmental time in the NBA calendar. So that's going to close it out for my Peyton Pritchard Celtics little segment. Not too pleased with it. Doesn't, you know, have a good taste in my mouth. I just kind of wish. Celtics were a little bit more careful with a player that they are going to highly need this year. And he's playing as good as he is, will certainly help impact this team this year if he can translate that into the regular season for the Boston Celtics. But let's move over to Cam Newton and a quote that he has to say in regards to the starting quarterback position. We finally get to hear something concrete and that weighs a lot, actually, in terms of the st- potential starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. Now, we've heard Bill Belichick say, Cam's our guy, Cam Newton's a starter, Newton, Cam, starter, Cam, Newton, starter, whatever, whatever, whatever. Mac Jones, you know, he's only said, you know, I'm just doing what the coaches tell me to do. I'm working on what I can control, doing this and doing that. And I think probably Cam Newton's said a lot of similar things. You know, Bill wants me to do that, I'll do that. Josh wants me to do this, I'll do that. However, however, We have a great piece of wordage, quote, phrase that we can pick apart from Cam Newton and what he had to say in regards to the the Patriots starting quarterback battle, which is the first battle we've seen in decades and probably the most important positional battle maybe in all of the NFL. Let me read you Cam Newton in regards to Bill Belichick potentially naming him the starting quarterback, or definitely naming him the starting quarterback, quote, no, you know he hasn't said that. So for you to just ask that question, you know it is what it is, end quote, said Newton after the Patriots practice with the Philadelphia Eagles. A reporter asked him, you the starting quarterback. Has Bill said you're the starting quarterback? Da-da-da-da-da. Basically, questions we want to hear answered from him or Mac Jones. Are you the starting quarterback? Who's starting? Mac Cam, who's starting? Bill Belichick hasn't told Cam Newton that he's the he, that he will start the regular season against the Miami Dolphins for the season opener on September 12th. Hasn't said it yet. We've got confirmation from Cam Newton. No, you know he hasn't said that. Bill Belichick has said countless times that Cam's a starter, Cam's a starter, Cam's a starter. Now, maybe... On the depth chart, Cam Newton is QB1. And he's taking first string rep because he, going into training camp, he probably is the starting quarterback, right? And when you first draft Mac Jones and Bill Belichick says Cam's the starting quarterback, well, you gotta you kind of have to see what this guy looks like first in regards to Mac Jones before you can just say him. He's not the first overall pick. I mean, Trevor Lawrence hasn't even been named the, the starting quarterback down in Jacksonville. Gardner Minshew is, you know, giving him a run for his money, although I think that first overall pick Trevor Lawrence will be, should be the starting quarterback. So I looking back at it with this kind of quote from Cam Newton puts in retrospect that no matter who you drafted at fifteen, you know, it could you could even draft a Trevor Lawrence at fifteen. And would he been your starting quarterback? No, because he he still had Cam in front of you. So you got to see what Trevor Lawrence, or in our case, Mac Jones, brings to the table to see on the NFL level that he's better. I mean, I think it's pretty easy to be better than Cam Newton from a quarterback position in the NFL. 
However, that's what training camp's for. That's what these preseason games are for. Now, obviously, a lot of signs are pointing in the direction of Mac Jones, and a lot of signs could end up pointing to Cam Newton at the end of the second preseason game. Who knows? And Bill Belichick has count, count, countlessly said that Cam's a starting quarterback. Because currently on the depth chart, Cam is number one, the QB1. So from that perspective, it makes a lot more sense. Now come the end of training camp, preseason and all that, we will have to wait and see who's QB1, who's QB2. And maybe that's what Bill Belichick was waiting for. Just Cam's the guy for now because he was here last year. He's the veteran. But we'll just have to wait and see. And obviously Bill Belichick wasn't going to give you a straight-up answer like that. Obviously not. So to kind of look back at all the clips and all the information and all the quotes that we've had before, and then obviously this one to hear it from Cam Newton's mouth, kind of, you know, even, I don't want to say evens out the playing field, but kind of puts us back in a guessing stage where it's like, yeah, it could be Mac. Yeah, it could be Cam. But he hasn't said, you are the starting quarterback to Cam or Mac yet. And when that news officially breaks, it'll come from Bill Belichick in the Patriots, you know, media camp. And it'll be all out on ESPN and all the news outlets. So until we get that breaking news, which you probably won't get until, I mean, sometimes quarterback battles have been determined before the end, uh, before the start of the fourth preseason game with only three now. I still think Bill Belichick is going to use all three preseason games to make that decision. So soon after, you know, the end of the third game, we could see the decision being made. Days before the first game, we could see the decision made. I mean, I would assume that he would want his starting quarterback to have a full week of practice with the first strings, regardless who it is, Cam or Mack. So the competition is still on. We still have a competition, and although Bill Belichick has said that Cam's the guy, Cam's the guy, Cam's the starter, from a depth chart perspective, looking at the depth chart, QB1, Cam Noon, makes sense. But from a regular season, opening day, starting quarterback outlook, don't know yet. And that makes me so relieved. It does. Because I expected Cam Newton to start the first preseason game. I expect him to start the second one. Hell, even the third one I expect him to start. And to hear Bill Belichick say, Cam's the guy, Cam's the guy, Cam's the guy. I was like, dude, stop saying that. Give the kid a chance. He's better than Cam Newton. Through training camp, he's been better. Preseason, he's so far better through one game at least. But by the end of all this, Mac Jones might be the guy. And I don't think Bill Belichick is closed the book on the idea of Mac Jones being the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots on September 12th. Thank you. Thank you, Cam Newton, for saying that. Makes me and probably a lot of you listeners for that want Mac Jones to be the quarterback to rest a little easier. So that's really all I have to say in regards to that. I know we have the... Uh, Patriots-Eagles game coming up on Thursday, I believe it is, right? Thursday? Yep, Thursday, August 19th at 7.30 p.m. kickoff in Philadelphia. What am I going to be looking for in this game? So let me give you, I don't, they're not keys, things I'm looking for, I guess. It's kind of a simple way to point it out. Number one, I guess there's no order of importance, right? Just like last week, there's no order of importance. But number one, the quarterback battle. Can Cam Newton keep up with Mac Jones? Can Mac Jones kind of go off of what he was able to build last week in the first preseason game against Washington? You know, he has a nice foundation, 13 and 19, almost 100 yards, some nice passes, you know, a, a, a thin book of offense, right? I want to see that offensive playbook expanded out, you know, some more complex plays, deeper routes and such like that, really take control of the offense. I want to see him build on that, you know, improve and get better as a quarterback in the Patriots system. And like I said, can Cam Newton keep up with that? Will Cam Newton be able to go 10 for 12 with 100 yards and a touchdown while Mac Jones does something similar, maybe better, maybe a little bit worse? 
Or is Cam Newton going to go, you know, four for nine with 25 yards and a pick? So quarterback battle, who will get the edge? Week one obviously went to Mac Jones. Where will week two go? Number two, second point, defense, right? I want to see more of that defense. The front seven of the defense has been rebuilt. It looks a lot better, and it did that first game against Washington. I want to see how it looks again in the second game. What about the secondary? How are the, the cornerbacks looking? How deep are we in the secondary? You know, you got a interesting offense this week again. You know, Washington was has its own good offense, but you have an interesting offense in the Philadelphia Eagles where you have Jalen Hurts, who's a Lamar Jackson-esque, someone who can run the ball himself. Miles Sanders, good running back. Jalen Ragor, Devontae Smith, the wideouts. So they have a much different offense than Washington has. So I want to see how they can adapt to that. I want to see how they look like when they have a, I don't want to say a run-first quarterback, but he kind of is a run-first quarterback in a way. It definitely opens up the Ravens' playbook. And the third point I'm looking forward to is the wide receivers. Not just the offense, not the receiving corps, you know, including the tight ends and all that. I want to see wide receivers. Ken, uh, what's his name? Wilkerson. What's his, uh, Wilkerson, Wilkerson. Rem- uh, nope. Christian Wilkerson. Can he kind of pick up where he left off last week? Six receptions, 39 yards, almost a touchdown, and kind of bumped up those uh, stat line. Can he kind of pick up where he left off even? What about Kendrick Bourne? What about Jacoby Myers and uh, Nikhil Harry? How are they going to look? I want to see more of the wide receivers because wide receivers is a thin position for the Patriots this year. No Julian Edelman. What are they going to look like? They're going to rely on James White, Jonu Smith, and Hunter Henry. But they're not wide receivers. So I just want to see more action from the wide receiver group. I want to see them get you know two, three, four receptions, five, six, seven looks even, and see what that looks like. Because right now, Patriots team... Outlook, I feel I don't feel very good about the wide receivers, and I don't think you should either. So those are the three things I'm looking for. Number one, quarterback battle between Mac Jones and Cam Newton again. Number two, how the Patriots defense will look against the intriguing Philadelphia Eagle offense. And number three, the wide receiver corps, how individuals play and how does the group as a whole play out. Not the tight ends, not the running backs, the wide receivers. So those are my three outlooks my three what i'm looking forward to in the game thursday august 19th at 7 30 kickoff in philadelphia but folks ladies gentlemen that's going to do it for today's episode of murph's boston sports talk i'm your host james murphy aka murph and thank you so much for joining me today thank you so much for downloading listening and enjoying and if you have any Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to debate, anything you want to discuss or even argue against. Leave those in the comment section down below if you're watching on YouTube or reach out to me on social media at Murph's Card Town on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Murph's Card Town. And you can reach out to me that way. And like I mentioned with YouTube, if you did enjoy this video, please make sure you hit that thumbs up to like the video as I would greatly appreciate that comment down below like I've already mentioned and please consider hitting that big giant red subscribe button if you are new or haven't considered subscribing yet to the channel. Thank you again so much for joining me for episode 81 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I will catch you for Friday's episode where we break down the Red Sox and their uh, series against the Yankees and also where we break down the Patriots game number two, preseason game number two against the Philadelphia Eagles. But folks, between now and then, you know that I love you and you know that I will always, always, always see you.